Welcome to Mint, a unique look into how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and let's kick off this episode by giving some love to our five NFT sponsors. They are Coinvise, Poop, Cello, Social Stack, and PrimeDAO. First off, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have POAP, or short for Proof of Attendance Protocol, who enables a novel way of creating one's life diary. Leveraging NFT technology, POAP facilitates an easy way to mint non-fungible tokens related to meaningful events. It's frequently used in crypto-native communities, and now it's starting to create NFT collectors in the mainstream too. Collect or launch your own POAP today by visiting poap.xyz. Next up, we have Social Stack a platform for communities, brands, and creators to build mission-driven social token economies, offering an easy-to-use non-custodial wallet with a suite of open-source community engagement tools. Social Stack makes it simple to bring your community into Web3 and be a part of creating an open-source, gratitude-driven future for social tokens. Create a free social token wallet, discover mission-driven social token communities, or apply to launch your own token on Social Stack by visiting socialstack.co today. Next up, we have Celo. Are you looking for an ecosystem of dApps, currencies, and tokens that can connect you with people no matter their device, carrier, or country? Well, say hello to Celo, a mobile-first platform that makes crypto dApps and payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Celo supports thousands of projects from builders, developers, and artists who every day build applications and issue tokens from all over the world. Visit celo.org today to learn more. And last but not least, we have PrimeDAO, a collective of DeFi builders and DAO veterans attempting to turn DeFi into a more cooperative ecosystem by creating DAO-to-DAO interactions. The first solution to go live is PrimeLaunch, a launchpad experience for DAOs built in collaboration with Balancer. If you plan on launching a DAO, head over to prime.xyz to access a network of partners and tools that will jumpstart your DAO development today. This episode welcomes Erican Oboto Takuto, founding and managing partner at Audacity Fund, who's investing in black and African-led crypto startups targeting trillion dollar markets worldwide. I wanted to bring her on because she's extremely vocal of how NFTs will change Africa forever and her perspective really sparked my attention. You'll see in a minute why this was one of my favorite episodes to record. She's just so high energy and her spirit is so amazing uh, and it made sharing her story really enjoyable. So in this episode, we talk about Audacity Fund's investment thesis, understanding JPEG summer, Erican's love for the intersection of DeFi and NFTs, how NFTs will revolutionize Africa forever, what will eat Web3 from her point of view, and so much more. I really hope you enjoy our conversation and a special shout out to Etowanda High School. Erican, welcome to Mint. How you doing? What's up? We're good. We're good. We got the sunlight, you know. I know. (laughs) Dude, you're glistening. You're like an angel, like a legit angel investor. I love it. Let's just let's just (laughs) jump in. Let's jump into it. <laughs> wow, you're killing me right now. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Okay. Uh, give me a brief about yourself. Who are you? What were you doing before crypto? And where are you now? So I'm Ari Can. I'm from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Shout out to Etiwanda High School. Um, prior to crypto, I was doing a lot. <laughs> so, um, I. I'm like, I'm bringing myself back on the screen. Shout out to your high school. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm the ones who raised me, who raised me. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) We got to get foundational. Oh, my God. No, this is my favorite interview by far. This is amazing. (laughs) I was like, I was in the green room and I was like dying of laughter. (laughs) <laughs> like no one's ever shouted out their high school before. Okay, continue. Go Eagles. <laughs> no, I mean it's an important part of the story. But um, go go. Uh, uh, um, I grew up watching the internet take my high school by storm. 
and I went to a very multicultural high school. And so I saw like YouTube and Twitter and Vine really start to like go through young black kids. And I would start to see like, all the viral things that they would do. And this was before I think the word viral was a thing, before influencer was a thing, before being a creator on the internet was a thing. Like I just was a part of a culture at my high school that was so swagged out, so culturally relevant that we made the internet hot. And so I shout out my school because that really put me on to like powerful market makers and demographics in the tech industry that don't get their shine, but that actually drive a lot of what becomes popular in consumer technology and in what becomes the norm for creators. So you think about TikTok, you think about Clubhouse, Cash App, Twitter. These are a lot of companies that are obviously technology sensations, but in the United States in particular for their markets, they were actually popularized by what young black kids were doing on them that then everybody else wanted to adopt and internalize. So what was I doing before crypto? I frankly was on a journey around the world. I eventually did 24 countries in a pretty long stretch of time, observing economic and cultural trends in different parts of the world that I knew one day would be strategically important for today, which is having an investment firm that really needs to be aware of cultural and economic trends to understand how crypto as technology can really disrupt, expand and capture all the value. 24 different countries. Yeah. Where did you start and where did you end? Um, yeah, so it wasn't all in one batch. So I technically started in the Bahamas. I was assigned to do history research. I was a biology student in college, but I got connected on a whim with a history professor who's like, I need somebody to go to Jamaica. No, I need somebody to go to Trinidad. No, I need somebody to go to the Bahamas and like look. And you're just like me, me, me. Yes, yes. Literally on a Friday, I was going to Trinidad. Sunday morning, I had a ticket to the Bahamas and a hotel book. Like it was so That's on the so whim. cool. Yeah. <laughs> she was just like, I need somebody to go to the slave archives and like research and find letters that plantation owners would send to their wives back in Europe. Okay. when they would land in the Bahamas and they would like have their cargo, AKA slaves. Like right. I want you to capture the love letters that these plantation owners would send to their wives back home in like old country or whatever the UK and all that was called at the time. So my job was to literally sit in an ice cold archival historical like building in the Bahamas in Nassau uh, Bahamas and read through slave records. Wow. Like, yeah. And like create like romanticized stories about the letters. I mean, I did that in my imagination when I would go to sleep yeah. that night, but not necessarily <laughs> create them to, 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 to see what the letters, what was the communication channel between essentially a white slave master and his wife in a different continent mm -hmm. as they're sort of like, voyaging to this part of the world where they're going to build business and build commerce and build like uh, economies. And so that I was a biologist at the time doing a history funded project, but looking at economics and culture at its like most like uncomfortable intersection, you know? So it was like, okay, these cargo are slaves from Africa, which is where I'm from proudly. And I'm seeing, their names are called Bobo, Jojo, Fufu, Dudu, Bo, like these weird things, but I'm African as hell. So I know their name is not Bobo. Yeah, it's yeah. probably Oliwa, Shell, something, you know, something. <laughs> the fact that their name is not Bobo and Jojo. <laughs> so I just was like, okay, there's something happening here. So then the way that the records really showed the economics of creating like cotton fields and all these sorts of other sorts of things in the in the Bahamas. It let me know and helped me understand the psychology of frankly colonizers and mm -hmm. how 400 years ago our value was so low that like it's it makes sense that frankly the value of black people is not in my opinion fully fully realized given that that was the power dynamic for so long um and all of those things influenced to me where i think there are pockets of rich economic potential that people don't see because they don't know that deeper history so it kind of informs 
My hence, hence the Audacity Fund. Yes. Um, yes. And we'll get there in a moment. But I want to I want to kind of touch upon the 24 countries. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you said it was over a period of time. But how yeah. long how long was that entire that journey? Because that's no joke. People don't really travel that much, right? Yeah. Throughout their entire life. So what was that time yeah. frame? And then the person who's done like 46 walks in the room and then yeah. they're like, <laughs> yeah, like, like what the okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's like once you pass like the 10 country mark, I think it's like, okay, you're part of a certain club. Um, no, so that was I mean, officially, officially, 2006 was my first time, but 2011, I've kind of been nonstop since 2011. So that's okay. 10 years. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So 10 happy, years. Uh, happy, uh, happy 10th year. Thank you. Thank <laughs> we should you. honestly pivot, close this interview, and go party. Yeah. <laughs> shout out so, to the archives. Shout out to the archives. <laughs> What's so, up? Uh, <laughs> No. Okay, so I lived, I lived in Brazil, proper like Portuguese speaking, all of that, like was up in that culture, heavy 2012, and then lived in Nigeria 2013, did a repeat, leveled up on my living experience in Nigeria in 2015, lived in Thailand 2018, and you don't just get Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Yeah, you know? no, like, hey, I accept it. I accept it. I accepted the and and I was doing different things kind of each time I was living in those places. But at the end of the day, like my experience in Brazil actually ended up being one where my job was men's health. I was focused on men's health, men's health research, really understanding what are the experiences men have with their own health, their body, their care, and what are the challenges that they have in accessing care? And how does that connect to their job prospects, their mental health, their drug use, alcohol use, et cetera. So I just got in the brains of men in (laughs) Brazil and Nigeria and in South Africa. And that helped me really learn people's challenges with accessing economic opportunities related to like cultural expectations, um, resource limitations, et cetera. So this again, helped inform my understanding of like, how do you market something like crypto or other products to communities who've never been properly spoken to? Mm -hmm. Um, And in this case, like Portuguese speaking, predominantly black men in Brazil. Um, That was actually, that was my next question, by the way, because traveling 24 countries you touched upon something that you learned that applies to what you're doing today. Would you say that was the biggest thing you took away so far? Or is there something kind of greater that fits into the picture? Because that came after a certain amount of time of traveling, right? That that specific section. Like if you could sum it up and look from above yeah. and take all of your experiences and kind of look at where you are today. Yeah. What was what was like give me one thing that you kind of took away and that you're applying right now? Beyond totally. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It was that. Um, I used to work at LinkedIn. I worked there for two years. I also, while I was working at LinkedIn, would go to Nigeria a lot. And I would be very involved in the early tech ecosystem um, and uh, particularly the FinTech ecosystem. And I remember sending an email to the CEO of, of, of LinkedIn at the time and also the senior vice president of sales. So like the head CRO being like, there's this company out of Nigeria. It's undeniably going to unlock the African continent for you. It's payments infrastructure and enables you to accept any kind of currency tied to USD. We need to move with them ASAP because you'll literally be able to accept every currency across Africa and now expand LinkedIn across Africa because people can pay for LinkedIn stuff, like subscriptions and other things. Right. And that conversation went nowhere. And so respectfully, respectfully, um, I just was like, Okay, so I can bring a lot of stats and facts, uh, but certain people just won't get it. We might have to edit that part out. <laughs> but like, certain people won't get it. And as a result, I got to just go build it. I think that was the biggest thing on like, okay, there's going to be certain, there's there's a demographic of people that are influencing technology and finance and um just what we're all excited about today that literally can't even place like certain parts of Africa or certain demographics that I see billions like walking in the streets. Mm -hmm. And 
it's hard to um, invest in those things if you've never seen it, you've never been to those places. So two things came out of that. I knew we, as a fund, we'd wanna invest a lot in media, visual, video, like going on ground and getting you the immersion in the Brazil, yeah. the Bahamas, the Lagos, Nigeria. So you, you can feel it and almost get a connection with it and be excited about it. But also I knew that we'd have to storytell the investments that we're making and why. So you can really see that beyond what we're used to in the United States, there are so many other layers of socioeconomic operations where money flows, trillions and billions of dollars flow that most people of a sort of developed minds, developed economy mindset don't know to solve for. And so it just essentially said, all these travels just let me know there's something people, most people can't see. And I have to believe in what I see that most people don't and say, we're going to make that group the investment thesis. Super cool. Very cool. And how long have you been doing that so far? In terms of audacity? Yeah, in terms of audacity, yeah. So went public with an announcement in June. So it's been a few months. Decided to raise an initial fund end of March, top of April. So it's been a speedy process as it would with crypto naturally. Yeah very fast moving. Industry. Congratulations. I mean, on, on all your progress, it's super Thanks. cool to see like, you know, there's a lot of like theoretical talk of how these uh, developing countries are prime opportunities for new technologies because yeah. they go through like technological shifts differently than for example, yeah. the US did, right? Right, right, or, right? Or other places in the world. And to see a fund dedicated strictly to that type of innovation or a, mm -hmm. a certain class of innovation yeah, is yeah. very cool. And I think is absolutely going to be an up and coming trend as as more of this technology kind of scales and, and gets bigger i want to i want to pivot uh and get your point of view of like where are we right now in the world of crypto like what's the current state and mm -hmm. i'll bring up some points in time that are monumental and i'd love yep. to kind of hear your feedback okay yep. so one point specifically that comes to mind 2017 ethereum uh bitcoin hit 20k for the first time a lot of people came into that space i came into that during that time okay and i've stayed since okay great we had that win season Okay, where people were building, iterating, whatever. Yeah. Summer of 2020, August 2020 comes. We have DeFi yeah. summer. Great, great, great moment for crypto. A lot of institutional money. People are tinkering with what's with finance. DeFi blow up the place. And now we're slowly seeing like NFTs take storm. Right? And we're seeing like JPEG summer, as they yeah. like to call it. Yep. And we yes. saw it like kind of begin in March. And now what are we yeah. in August? It's August 25th when we're recording. So yep. a lot of interesting stuff. And my favorite part about it is the culture that comes with it. Okay, yes. but I'd love to hear your point of view. Like, what's the current state of the market? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, whew, that's its own podcast for sure. There's there's a lot to say. I think um, the the expansion of decentralized finance uh, and open finance to me is always going to be the like unsexy, uh, interesting thing. Um, but I think what we're starting to see is NFTs one regain in popularity, so that's cool. That starts that increases the belief that this is here to stay. Visa just uh, acquired their first crypto punk, so all of these things are helpful in the greater narrative. Shout out to Kai Sheffield holding it down. Is he, is he the one? Claremont College, <laughs> say. Claremont Shout College outs. alumni holding it down. Come on, making history. Let's go. <laughs> So you don't know, gotta shout out your fellow. Your no, fellow. I love it. I support. I support. <laughs> I'm gonna so, add him in the show notes. I love. It. <laughs> so add at Wanda, add Claremont Colleges, add Kai Stuffield, all of it. Um. So anyway, um. But those those moments uh, are are important. So I think now with that Visa integration on the CryptoPunk side, it is, it shows that like old money really really bangs with cultural money. And there's something interesting happening there. And I think that's really important. What I, I I would love almost if I could actually say state of the market in terms of what people aren't looking at. And that's probably the most yeah. thing anyway. Um, and I think there's still a lot to be done and thinking about how NFTs can be used or just your crypto assets, whether you have an NFT, maybe you have a, a piece of an NFT. So my, my Twitter profile right now is currently a crypto punk um, named... Um, Hallie, and I have a fractional ownership stake in that. So I think it went for like, I don't know, 232 or something like that, 200 or 300, maybe 400. I have a piece of that. 
you know, I don't own it all, but I still get to get excited about having a piece. And if you were to have your own whole NFT um, at a varying price point, that same asset can be leveraged for access to loans. It could be leveraged for creating new financial identities on the blockchain that allow you to kind of leapfrog the limitations of your real world environment, AKA credit scores and like all these other things that could get very uh, systemic and challenging and difficult to navigate because you participated in an aspect of culture that you really like, you can now leverage that to like level up in your sort of access to financial tools and resources and capital, which is really cool and important. And I think that's an area that I would like to see more attention drawn to sure. because it's now culture is now leveraged for economic opportunity, which is like important for a regular Joe who would, uh, one of my investors said today, you know, getting a culture punk is a crypto punk is like getting a Jordan, you know, in the sense of like, you know, there's only one of a hundred, you know, you can only like they go up, they're scarce and all those other things. So what does it look like for all the Jordan lovers out there to now add on to their sort of pandemonium access to a crypto punk, but they could leverage that for a loan to pay for their school. Yeah. You know, That's like, like the, the epitome of culture meets finance. Like yeah. the, the epitome, right? And the only time that kind of comes to mind is with music or sports, right? And in, in, in black black culture is, is like a very core component of those two elements, you know? Totally. But now we're seeing like crypto manifest from what was once a cool kids club is now becoming like this cultural phenomenon that everybody wants to be a part of, right? Whether you're on the creative side, whether you're on the investment yeah. side. And I love your example of talking the integration between DeFi NFTs, right? And for for those who aren't aware, can you give me some examples of what's happening either in in the black black tech landscape or the African Mm -hmm. landscape as Mm -hmm. to who's kind of like moving mountains in that that area? Who can Mm -hmm. we hear? And this is by no means financial advice. This is merely just to like, what's happening in the space? Wow, there's a lot to say there. Okay, so uh, first of all, I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's ever felt like uh, this moment in the internet, this moment in history and the moment of life is like the accumulation of all the random things we've ever done throughout our lives because I, I, I personally feel like someone who's who was a big AOL chat gal, you know, out here with these aliases and stuff. I feel like this is like my moment to come back and like build cool things. So I want to shout out to everybody who's using this moment to create really cool, gnarly things, especially the amazing black people that I'm inspired by every day. So first and foremost, there's a community called Crypto for Black Economic Empowerment, which I happen to be the president of. That is a pretty good collection of a lot of amazing Black people in crypto. So I mentioned Kai as one individual who is head of cryptocurrency at Visa and very much influential in crypto acquiring a crypto punk. So that's like at the executive level at a financial institution that's trying to figure out its F- a crypto strategy. That's like one really cool thing in terms of like black crypto tech. Um, and then there are um, companies that are tackling more of the traditional finance arena, a company called um, OnRamp led by a gentleman named Tyrone, Mm -hmm. um, Tyrone Ross. They're essentially enabling people to provide sort of Bitcoin and other crypto assets as wealth wealth advisors. So they deal with RIA. So people who are essentially dealing with, you know, clients that want to increase their wealth and are thinking about how should my portfolio now include Bitcoin or other assets. They're enabling that integration to happen with that type of um, provider within finance. That's really cool. On the NFT side, there's a lot of amazing NFT artists from across the world that I think are going to increasingly um, make it cool and viral to buy an NFT as a person that isn't typically centered in technology. So Latabo is an amazing NFT artist out of South Africa. She's such a huge inspiration. IX Shells is actually from Panama. She's the highest grossing woman for NFT sales, she did $2 million and I think in a day, or maybe wow. a few hours. Yeah. Wow. Highest grossing. That woman. was recently too, right? Mm-hmm. That was recently. I think that was March, April, no, yeah. May. It was May, May like yeah. first week of May. Yeah. So I think highest grossing, like one instance black NFT artists as well. And then also highest grossing uh, digital artists for Panama as a country. So, I mean, just like breaking all the records, that's pretty cool. Um, and beyond just like the, the sales of NFTs, I think people that are really leading culture are certainly um, 
firms like Andreessen Horowitz for sure. They they uh, launched their two point two billion dollar fund, which um, there's there's people there that are really uh, instrumental in driving culture, like Chris Lyons and Megan over at the Cultural Leadership Fund. So those people are really cool. Um, in terms of the Africa side, I'll give you just some like strategic markets, market insights. Right now, we're seeing um, a bit of a rush to the crypto exchange. So who's going to be that Coinbase? Who's going to be, I don't know that people are really thinking about being the next FTX, but like who's going to be that that exchange that really the entire continent mobilizes around? And my thesis is that like there won't be one. There will be many um, that sort of meet the different socioeconomic classes and categories of people across Africa. So you have your elites, you you have your institutions, you have your banks, you have your central banks, you have the sort of regulatory government entities, and you have like social elite who you know disposable income probably want access to crypto as a part of a tr like traditional portfolio, and then you have like the masses broken up by age, swagger, ways that they need to be spoken to, language, culture, etc. Um, so crypto exchanges is one category that's starting to formalize more and we'll see who wins. But next is is DeFi and there's a lot more education to still happen around the DeFi side to getting increasingly more entrepreneurs and founders building there. But truthfully, I think leveraging gaming, we're seeing gaming as an interface or music and sports and film as just like a DAP, a decentralized app that is the interface for consuming those very things, sports, film, any creator related entity and having DeFi on the back end to me is like the secret sauce for building a, a, a culturally relevant business that, that has the potential to um, multiply its capital reserves and treasuries just by using DeFi tools. Yeah. So I'll pause there. No, I think I think that's a fantastic list. And you touched mm -hmm. upon what my next question is, is uh -huh. all these creators that are entering NFTs right now, they're creating to create, right? I would argue a lot of them don't really understand the finance side because their, their main expertise is the creative side, right? Yeah, and cool. now you're seeing all these discussions. Okay, there's a ton of value locked in all these JPEGs, MP4s, whatever. You could you could take a loan against them. You can stake them, whatever the, the, the element may be. Uh-huh. Do creators need to start rethinking how they create NFTs because there's going to be new forms of finance that allow people to monetize their art or should they stick to the craft? What do you think? Mm, that's a good question. I like the way you asked it dramatically. So I think um, creating an NFT inherently is creating money for yourself because you're creating. So understanding how an NFT works is definitely helpful um, because you're creating something that even if somebody just buys it for a dollar, if 300 years from now, your, your stuff goes up and it's now worth a thousand dollars, that person or that estate that holds that asset, which is kind of crazy to think if you own crypto today, you need to think about estate planning because a lot of this stuff is going to be held into perpetuity long before you're long after you're here. So that's for artists, but that's also for holders, people who are part owners with you and your assets. So all in all, um, I think artists are naturally already starting to think about money and finance more because they not only see one NFT as a way to capitalize and make money instantly without any intermediaries on the art they would have already created and put up for free on social media, but now it's a, a new way of revenue. So you can say, hmm, I think I have the potential to make 10K on this one NFT or $1,000 or $750,000 on this one NFT, but what, do, what does it look like if I did that monthly? What does it look like if I did that weekly? What does that look like if I decide I want to donate a portion of it to an, I don't want to high school because that was my high school that taught me art classes. Like, you know, there's all these new ways I think artists are now being emboldened to kind of act like banks, frankly, um, and act like financial institutions because they're getting an influx of cash or excuse me, fiat, I mean, excuse me, uh, crypto um, in, a, in a short period of time that they would have been hard to access before and now can make decisions with their money that they never had a chance to. So that means people are paying down their loans. 
So they're naturally interfacing with money in ways that overcome the fear that they originally might have had with like yeah. having loans. You're able to now help your family members. You're able to think about donating a certain lump sum that you just got over a weekend because there was a fire auction. Right. To like a community that you care about. You're thinking about maybe leveraging that asset for more loans. Like there's all these different things that I think is inherent that people should just be smart and build supportive, helpful tools around um, to enable artists to just feel more confident and emboldened to do do right for themselves and their community around their money. Yeah, I've yet to see a platform, an app or whatever you want to call it that really prioritizes the the intersection between finance and the creative individual. Right too. Right, it specifically yeah. how, how it pertains to NFTs and what DeFi can kind of like there transform is. NFTs to because like. Right, there. right. Like, mm -hmm. think of it as a very like a, it's a consumer app, right? A web mm -hmm. web app, mobile app. That once you list your NFT on either Nifty Gateway, you get sold, or on OpenSea, wherever, whichever marketplace, mm -hmm. there's then steps the creator can take from that point on, you know, to interact more in a user friendly way with the DeFi ecosystem. If anyone is building that, hit up Eric and hit me yeah. up. We want to hear from up. you. Hit but, us uh, up. That's what. Yeah, that's what we really want to invest in. Yeah, yep. yeah. No, yep. I, I I like it. So mm -hmm. I want to pivot into uh, NFTs in in Africa. Okay. Okay. Yes. You wrote you wrote a phenomenal article back in April mm -hmm. uh, that got a really cool traction on Medium, mm -hmm. and I want to dive into it. Even though people All can right. go read it, I want you to like give me the rundown, and then mm -hmm. I want to dive into the four points you kind of highlighted, and All I'll right. and I'll drop them really quick. Okay? okay. So give me give me a quick summary, just a quick summary of what the article was, and then yeah. I'll dive into a few points. Come on, research. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay. Um, so the article was called How NFTs Will Revenu Revolutionize Africa Forever. And essentially gave you high level basics, very lay terms, nothing fancy here. Like what the heck's going on with this NFT talk? And then broke down, which it sounds like you're going to articulate in a minute, the different reasons or the, the ways that NFTs unlock economic freedom, collective ownership, um, and also like change the perception of Africa in the world because of leveraging this cultural moment that we have to truly capitalize on our creativity and um, capitalize on our economic power, which repositions ourselves globally um, as Africans. Cool. So I can go deeper. Yeah, but let's let's take it a point at a time because the oh. way you structured the article is super cool and you brought up four arguments that you wanted to make yeah. and I'm going to list them out right now, okay? And for mm -hmm. anybody that's listening or watching, I'll put it in the show notes, so keep an eye out for that. But the four points are, are as follows. So number one is everybody wins with NFTs, okay? Mm -hmm. Ownership and intergenerational wealth. Number two mm -hmm. is revenue and royalties. Mm -hmm. Number three is self-driving money, liquidity, collateral, and financial freedom. Number four is the creator economy and how youth transforms global perceptions. Yeah. Like each very powerful points on their own. Yeah. I'd love to go down every single point really quick. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And give like share with me more about what your argument is, because sure. I feel like some may even argue that these points are very critical for society in general. But I love how you took it from the point of view for a specific sector like Africa, mm -hmm. right? And what's happening over there and how it's developing to this new and immersive right. tech hub. So yeah. number one, everybody wins ownership mm -hmm. and intergenerational wealth. Take it Got away. It. Got yeah. you. So with NFTs, you can have one of one, meaning there's only one. There could be one of a particular number that you set, or there could be one of, you know, sort of any amount that is purchased within a period of time. And so there could be one of one, there could be one of 100, and then there could be one of 725. Um, also with each of those NFTs, it could be that one NFT is purchased by multiple people. So multiple people own one NFT, or as I just mentioned earlier, it could be that multiple people own an NFT of a particular collection with a fixed amount. The reason why I say that is because however it is you participate, whether you own a piece of one or you own one of a, a limited few, you now have an ownership stake in the creativity of whoever it is that you love that you're supporting. So it's now your money that you would have spent on a VIP pass at a concert or the money you would have spent on Donda's new ear listening things to get the Kanye album. <laughs> they, could have, they could have attached an NFT to that. And now you would not only have the hardware that Donda and Kanye just released, but you'd have an NFT associated with it that could increase in value as Kanye's 
legacy continues to grow. Right. And now, now you're not just a consumer, but you're an investor that has an asset that appreciates that you would have put your money towards anything. So you would have bought the Donda thing, or you would have bought Yeezys or whatever it is. But now that same money that 200, 300, a thousand dollars you would have put towards is actually an asset that can go to $10,000 in six years. And now you can flip it. You can hold, you can, you can do so many different things, but you never know long-term how that, that asset will be valuable to you. And in this case, the consumer turns into the investor. Right. And that, and, and that consumer turns into an owner. And that is a, that is an identity change that is super important for people. And then like economically, it's like, you're an asset owner. You not only are a fan of Kanye or a fan of Burna Boy or a fan of Adam, but you like kind of have a piece of ownership of it and you can do a few things with that. That means that everybody gets a chance to win generationally because all of it's into perpetuity. Powerful. Okay. Because yeah. Ownership and generational wealth, right? Yes. That like that leads to obviously an abundance of money if, if done right, that can support you, your family, etc. And if you're able to right. nail the head, whether it be a crypto punk, whether it be an album, whether it be whatever, okay, that you can prove your ownership, right? And then that accumulates in value over time yes. for you and future generations of your family, powerful as hell. I yes. think. One thing that people have yet to wrap their head around, though, is what does ownership look like online when everything is like people are used to copying and pasting, right? People are used to just screenshotting. People are used to. And I think society has yet to realize just like there's levels of ownership in the real world, there's levels of ownership in the virtual world, too. Yes. And when when people kind of ask you that or if they ask you that, how would you kind of reply? Like, how do you? kind of show them that there's a value to owning an online asset, right? People haven't wrapped their head around that yet. Yeah, I think it's the same as like, um, wouldn't it be nice to own a piece of Twitter, especially if you avidly tweet every day? Like yeah. your data is contributing to Twitter making money off of that. And so like, wouldn't it be cool if day one, things that could become a Twitter, aka a really successful business, you had a ownership stake in early and your stake was liquid in the sense that you can do things with it without having to get the approval of that same entity that give, allows yeah. you to have access to that ownership. So I think um, there are many things. I think that we really just have to understand that like traditional finance is just being made available to regular people and people have been owning things for forever. Like, some of the legacy American families don't own the United States. They just said that they have a business that owns a particular uh, industry. And now they own that industry, meaning like they own rail, the rail, the largest railroad manufacturing company. Yeah. Or they own the largest bank in Wall Street or they own. Yeah. They just decided. Electricity. Yeah. All these core components. Yeah. Decided. They just decided that they were going to build something that said either we own it partially or wholly. And over time will allow certain people to come into that ownership by going public, et cetera. Right. So you can think about an NFT as a micro business saying we're going to make ownership of this thing available to multiple people and we're all going to benefit from the long-term growth of this revenue or micro business over time and that is ownership like it's the same concept it doesn't change because there are jpegs or mp3s involved and i think it's crazy that people are even confused about why you would want to own a piece of the internet when you think about how much we're consumed and addicted to the internet why would it yeah, own yeah. That? yeah no fair i just think you know like when you tell someone yeah but you're buying an image like why would i buy that image i could just go on google and like have that image on my you know so i think ah, with time yeah. right with time people are going to mm -hmm. realize because the way all these networks these crypto networks are set up they're set to validate mm -hmm. they're set to prove they're set to be transparent that's just their innate nature right that's just how they're set up that's how they're designed and once more of the world kind of gets ingrained with crypto by default, with everything, everyday things that they do, they'll realize the power. They'll realize the potential, uh, whether they like it or not. It's coming, guys. Whether yeah. you like it or not, we're coming. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say two things. If it doesn't make sense to you, follow that discomfort 
in like, what the hell? Because what you don't see is probably what needs to be created because it's so early and it's time for you to get in. Yeah. Like if you get everything, you're probably too deep in your rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're too deep in your rabbit hole because you haven't come up with, well, where's this and where's that? Oh, it doesn't exist yet. You're going to go build it? Are you investing in it? Are yeah. you sharing that idea? And then the other part that I would tell people is um, NFTs are a tool. They not They are not equals JPEGs. So NFTs is a digital certificate of ownership of anything. So if you have oh. land, you can have an NFT that represents your digital ownership of your land. And in the smart contract, AKA the code, AKA the like instructions, it can say that you own it. Here's the terms, here's the size, kilometers, et cetera. And being like, so only when this asset changes hands does someone else own your land. Yeah. So that is just literally a tool that every DMV, every registry archives. Shout out to the archives. <laughs> Shout out to the archives. <laughs> when are you going to NFT the archives? We should. <laughs> Historical value. And so it's at that point in time, that's great for a library. That's great for an entity that has to keep records of hospitals, your medical records being an NFT, which is not like flashy NFT. It's just like, oh God, thank goodness I have readily at ready access on my phone to the last time I got my COVID vaccination. You know, so like it's a tool that it is popularized in art, but it suggests say it's a digital way to capture information in most cases ownership. So how would you then want to use something like that in the worlds that you operating in? Amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So the number two is revenue and royalties, which you already kind of touched upon uh, behind number one with either owning something, right? And the money that comes from that and the generational wealth you can build. Anything yeah. else you would add to the revenue and royalty section? Yes, generational revenues. Like who's mad at a royalty check 50 years after the person that's inspired the royalties has unfortunately transitioned and now the family yeah. gets to benefit from a check every Crazy. month. Crazy. <laughs> because your dad made a cool NFT four years ago and like we're still collecting the money. Um, as, and mind you, to be clear, the royalties come from secondary sales. So I do think it's worth acknowledging, again, these things that have always happened in traditional finance, but now regular Joes like you and I get to recognize that like there's that initial opportunity to buy something and buying means you actually have a piece of ownership, but then there's that second chance. Then there's that opportunity of like, dang, I missed it, but what's the resale? Mm -hmm. so, and that resale is that opportunity for you to jump in and still get active. It might be 3X, on the money, um, it might be 10x, but at least it's still an opportunity to ride the wave as the value grows up over time. So it's like buying Bitcoin today when you could have bought it at 5,000, but you still bought it. And if it goes to 1 million, then you're still up. Yeah. And then the, the other part of that is um, reselling and speculating. So that's a whole nother category that's going to mushroom because people want access to royalties and access to revenue. So you could say I'm a NFT flipper and that's my part-time job and that's my full-time job. I'm just trying to get 5X on NFTs. That's new revenue for you. And anytime it's bought or sold, you're getting a piece just like the artist is getting a yeah. piece. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, so uh, revenues and royalties check, self-driving money, liquidity, collateral, and financial freedom. I feel like this also ties into DeFi a little bit. Yes, it does. Okay. So. There's three ways to think about having a crypto asset at minimum. One is the value of it goes up or it goes down. Two, that uh, asset can be uh, staked, AKA you can get interest for um, just sort of lending your crypto asset to the world of the crypto, like the crypto world. Um, and then also um, three is that that asset can go into a decentralized finance vehicle, which really just means you could leverage that asset for loans or for other financial instruments. So um, the self-driving money piece is like you made one action, you bought something that you loved. You bought art, you bought uh, NFT sneaker line, you bought whatever it is. And that one activity with maybe, maybe a complimentary a gesture of a button or two can now make you more money right. without you really doing much more work. You know what I mean? So that's the element of like, I bought one Bitcoin. It's now 10 X 
you know, the value and I only bought it once, but it still continues to make me money because it yeah. grows in value and I staked it. And I'm now adding it to a liquidity pool where I'm getting, you know, 300% APY. So those are th three different amazing things that could happen off of one activity of buying a Bitcoin. Damn. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Uh, and the last one, which is my personal favorite and the theme okay. of this entire show, right, yes. is uh, the creator economy and how youth transforms global perceptions. Yes. Yeah, that's my favorite too. Um. <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot to unpack here. So take it from, from any direction. All right. Well, I think it's kind of the same concept of diminishing the JPEG to like, it's just like, you don't take us seriously. <laughs> it's just like, what do we have to do? Like we built, we built people billion dollar businesses. People's yeah. pensions are now getting invested into startups. Like we have to really understand how the world of money works. And it's just like, there's noise. And then there, there's how money works and money goes to what people perceive as valuable. And if there are certain demographics or industries or regions of the world that are perceived more valuable, money will go there. Insert the United States of America. So people perceive the United States of America to be the like creme de la creme, the top country in the entire world, economically, culturally, enterprise, Hollywood, all these things, right? Because the U.S. has done a great job of PR. And by owning one huge creator economy, aka Hollywood and entertainment, we can produce films and movies that broadcast to the world whatever story you want to tell people, which is not always true, but it benefits us because we control the narrative because we, we control L.A. and the entertainment industry. Yeah. So if you have regular Joes releasing viral art, viral films, viral fashion lines, viral music that people all over the world have ownership in, they're going to be broadcasting their love of their thing that they captured from you in every village, hood, boardroom, you know, water cooler moment, Zoom call, et cetera you know, d a display profile picture on, on Twitter, all of these different moments are instances to evangelize your love of a cultural moment, an NFT, an artist, a creator, whoever. And by you being able to get more pandemonium and fandemonium because your fans are actually your investors, they're your co-owners, you immediately have more people talking about you. And the more people that are talking about uh, one piece of African content and another African creator and another African creator, it means like, whoa, 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 something's happening about happening about Africa because I keep hearing about these different types of African creators. And all of those things help evolve and expand people's perception of Africa. Why is an evolved perception of Africa important? Well, you talk to most Joes on the street and they think Africa is lions, tigers, bears, hyenas, war, famine, HIV and AIDS, save the children com commercials and National Geographic. I think that was a very thoughtful and comprehensive spectrum of what most people think about for Africa. Oh, Black Panther, boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like super important for at least activating a possible different narrative around Africa. Mm -hmm. Which to me, I think Black Panther is more accurate than it is fictional. And so all in all, imagine if Black Panther itself as a film was an NFT. And imagine Black Panther made like almost $2 billion three years ago. Imagine every single person that bought a ticket now actually owns a piece of Black Panther mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That not only means you watch the movie, but you own that. You own that. You own a piece of that. That is not going to change the way people think about Africa because they're seeing the value of their NFT connected to Black Panther triple as the movie launches and then continue to go up as Marvel continues to integrate characters from the two sequel into more, more Marvel pictures. All yeah. of this is raising the value of something people associate with Africa, which is important for us to challenge those narratives that kind of keep our value hidden to the masses. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you brought up the, and I don't know if that number is specifically true and you tell me if it is, if they made $2 billion off that franchise, is that, is that number correct? Definitely well over a billion. Okay. Well over a billion, whatever it may be. Mm. I, I would argue that if they applied Web3 primitives to their marketing and launch strategy and every oh, single yeah. movie ticket would actually be a form of ownership, a small fraction, yeah. but a form of ownership, right? Not enough to give everybody control over the movie because the director and the sure, producers sure. all still need to bring this thing to life, okay? Yeah, yeah. I would argue that the value would be 10x maybe yeah. only because everybody's 
incentives are aligned beyond just a ticket and popcorn. Now it's like, like, fuck, like I have ownership, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like I, Mm -hmm. I can control collectively with this community what the value of this franchise may be. I got to talk about it more. I got to tell more people about it. I got to, I got to promote it more. I got to do all this more, you know, and just the power dynamics shift. It shifts, it shifts. And imagine like the makeup artists and like fashion designers who were seeming, seeming away right before the big scene, like, what does it look like for those people to also benefit from the upside of their craftsmanship and their work? You know what I mean? Like them, um, not only just the big ticket director, executive producer, et cetera, but everybody along the the value chain and the creation chain of such a big body of work like that, being able to have a stake, which is hard to do now, just given the way payment structures and business models work in most industries, you kind of pay the most to the person you perceive have the most influence and value, which isn't always representative of who actually put in the most work or like representative work. And so you'll say that maybe a part-time, uh, part-time person who like did seamstress work on Lupita's outfit may not warrant getting as much right. uh, upside as like the producer. Okay, maybe, but does she just get like paid for those three hours or 10 hours or a hundred hours she was on set, but not benefit from like the stock potential of the success of this film because she made her Lupita's outfits, outfits fire in every scene. So like, I think the impact is there. So it just gives people a chance to say, if I touch this in some way, AKA if I contributed to the success in some way, I can get a piece of that. So that's an example. I mean, hey, I'm working my way up to Marvel and all of them to make sure we can get this done. If you have links, listen, Adam, set me uh, up. Uh, I got you. I'll go, I got you. We, we got to brainstorm after this. You know, one thing that actually, as you were as you were talking and you're answering my last question, kind of popped up into my head. Yeah. There's always been an issue of financial literacy, right? Of okay. people of people kind of like not understanding what one money is, what credit mm-hmm. is, right? What ownership yeah. is. NFTs are changing that. NFTs, their, their, their foundation is yeah. understanding the value of ownership. And mm-hmm. you're seeing all these creative individuals that maybe I could be wrong. I could possibly be wrong, but I, I would argue that focus on the creative side of things. They don't really focus on the financial side of things. They just create to create. Right, are that. now understanding financial primitives that are core to their success and their future rep- representation as an artist, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's cool to see this happening live, uh, and, and it's cool to be a part of it. I wanna, I wanna wrap up with a couple questions here, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I wanted to talk to you about creators and DAOs and the Ooh. inequality and disparity uh, of how intellectual property works with Black and African. There's so many things we could talk about, Damn, but I know. That. We're, okay. Uh, okay. okay, so I'm gonna let you pick. We got the the topic of creators. We got the topic okay. of DAOs. Or we have the the economic and inequality disparity that comes from the intellectual property of Black culture and African culture. Which one do you want to tackle? IP know, all the way. A thousand IP. Percent, okay. Okay. This is oh. I know because I know this is something you're very you're very vocal about, right? Because uh, I I think it's pretty evident that Black culture is a core component to a lot of music, sports, and so much more. And we mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit. Yeah. But you argue that they don't see the value of that intellectual property to its fullest. And yeah. crypto can fix that. Okay. It can help for sure. Okay. So talk to me about that. Share with me your point of view on that. Yeah. Okay. So um you could you could pick a lot of industries, but one of them we can think about Wall Street. Wall Street was literally built off of colonizing bodies, going to West Africa, getting gold and slaves to then come to the United States to build enterprise and build commerce and build financial institutions that we now helm as the American sort of like regard, like we regard them heavily. So that's like labor and intelligence to like build economies off of the strength of your own DNA to then build a nation that is considered the, the like best nation in the world. Like that's already a huge ripoff in terms of like the black community not benefiting from the outside of the success of the US. That's one example. Another example is jazz music. So jazz music predominantly comes from Southern artists, Louis Armstrong and various others who eventually migrated up North and really took over Harlem and the New York scene by storm and got signed by a lot of record labels that never paid them. 
But these same people were sort of broadcast outside of the United States as like the beacons of American culture. Louis Armstrong was made into an ambassador and literally traveled all over Europe to promote the United States, but was like poorly treated when he came back to the United States and didn't benefit economically from expanding the jazz genre all over the world. But what then inspired jazz? Jazz then spawned blues, blues then started spawned rock and roll, rock and roll then spawned um, uh, hip hop in certain ways, all of those were driven by black characters. And oftentimes it was the business people that interacted with these black creators that benefited financially because they built the business model to benefit them and not actually the creators of IP, which were the musicians. Every genre, same case. Um, and so sports is a similar example. You see a lot of the trouble with, with, with what LeBron advocates for, and you see it in NFL as well. So these are the, these are the real instances in which you're driving a lot of the momentum, the, the dabbing, like all of these things, you're driving all this momentum. TikTokers in 2020, literally from the savage dance to all of these things became the, the blueprint for what was viral during COVID around the world and respectfully white young people kind of leveraged that to create dances as well and became more popular of the uh, creators on TikTok, which then leads certain people to get sponsorship deals, endorsements that I, I saw one of the top influencers, she's now an angel investor in startups. So like you are taking dance moves from young black kids and just dancing to them, no big deal. But like that's creating you economic opportunity for you that allows you to now be an investor in, in, in ownership of companies that can change your life and your whole legacy. Whereas that same person who created that dance gets a pat on the back and a few likes for, for creating a dance that changes the world. Why is that important from an IP standpoint? It's to say that if, for example, every TikTok video was instead attached to an NFT and instead of you liking it, and commenting, you put a dollar towards how much you love it. And it's automated, it's simple, it's connected to a wallet, you don't even have to think about it. Now, every single initial viral creator online gets a dollar per the equivalent of a like, and now gets to see immediately the economic gain of that. And because they're first to market with their respective NFT or creation that's connected to a dance or whatever it is that a lot of black creators create that really forms the internet, they're able to benefit as, as a first mover, have a, a tens of thousands, if not millions of people who've bought into their love of that same um, viral moment on the internet. And everyone will be able to be proud that they have ownership of that meme that was created by X person from X place. And that meme can take on a similar sort of pandemonium as a mm -hmm. crypto park because it's widely used in group chats and all these other things. So now this is an opportunity for someone who influences internet culture, who's historically known for being a meme, AKA, a lot of creators, especially a lot of young black people to have an asset attached to that cultural moment and it be something where you can only use that meme or NFT if you are a part owner in it, which you had the opportunity to mm -hmm. do so at the onset of launching that NFT. So these are so, different ways that people can capture their IP. You just inspired a train of thought right now where yeah. let's say TikTok were to go more Web3 native and mm -hmm. These audio files that people consistently, exactly. you know, create new files, those were NFTs essentially, right? And every mm -hmm. time they would get used, there would be a, be a way to measure the virality and the amount of attention that's captured through that specific trend. Exactly. And the ad and the ad revenue that would be captured through TikTok would then get equally, or not equally, but proportionately mm -hmm. redistributed to the person who initially uploaded that MP3 file, right? Yeah. And then that got streamed and recreated yes, yes. thousands upon millions of times. And yeah. that's powerful, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's yeah. powerful. Like re realigning incentives, realigning the distribution of wealth, realigning and rewarding those who create virality, those who yes. bring the attention, a stake in ownership in the platform that they help make a reality. Right. Yeah. And, so, and another way that it could work is TikTok launches a token. I recommend that they use Roll, uh, <laughs> tryroll.com. <laughs> uh, and uh, they can launch it on TikTok, TikTok token, dollar sign TikTok, and gift some of the founding, like most viral content creators of 2020, like proportionate tokens to like their viral impact. And now those people have essentially a stock connected to TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, that is not exactly stock, but kind of. Um, and now you have an asset for all of the like things that you did. Yeah. Yeah. Summer. 
Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely mm -hmm. fascinating. Okay, I want to end off with this final question. All right. Okay? Yeah. And this is something that I'm, I'm starting to ask more, more of the guests on the show because yeah. uh, I'll just hit you with it. Let's just go right into it. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the history of the internet and how it developed mm -hmm. over time. And the initial genesis of the internet was Web 1. Okay. Mm -hmm. Web 1 was very much read only. Uh, mm -hmm. Web 2 kind of ate Web 1 and we got all these social networks, right? Yeah. And data aggregation and corporates taking advantage of people. And Web 3 is now eating Web 2, right? With this yeah. new reimagination of ownership and et cetera. Mm -hmm. What's going to eat Web 3? And you can give it to me in, in a sentence because I know we're, we're mm -hmm. short on time. What's going to eat yeah. Web 3? Listen, I think we're going to be eating <laughs> off of Web3 for a long time. It's just the beginning. Um, but I think what we'll eat Web3 is uh, like tribes, communities of people. So that goes into DAOs, but like communities of people creating their own economies. Like to mm -hmm. me, that's like you and the homies in a group chat should have your own economic system. Like I yeah. just don't even understand why like there isn't like a wallet connected to every group chat that organizes for brunch. Like mm -hmm. I just like... <laughs> Like, come on, like, if all of you are ge gearing up to go to Burning Man, there should be like a very simple way to economically just figure that out. Yeah. And I think people walking around as financial institutions is the future. I love it. That's a perfect place to end off. Eric, and where can we find you? Where can we learn more about Audacity Fund? All right. So audacity.fun. That's the website. That's it. Audacity.fun. You got it. Well, <laughs> that's it. Today. And then, hey, Ari can on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty active and just find me there. Cool. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope to have you again soon. Yes. Same here. Thank you.